Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Workweek, which is May 13th to 17th of this year, 2019. Promotional Products Workweek is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May 13th to the 17th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Work Week. For more information, check out ppai.org forward slash events. Thank you so much. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and SportTech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. Hi, everyone. It's Johanna Gottlieb with Promo Kitchen from Axis Promotions, and I'm here today with Mark Graham of Common Skew and Promo Kitchen. And today we wanted to take a little peek behind what it's like to work for a company for many, many years and what it's like to just start out in this industry. So we're doing another series in our Vets and Newbies, and we're going to talk to Lisa Pine from Axis Promotions. And we're going to talk to Laura Gibson as well from Brandfuel. And we're going to get their perspectives from the industry many years ago with start dates and recent start dates and just talk a little bit about expectations, sort of get a peek behind their worlds from two different companies and two different perspectives. So with that, thank you, Laura and Lisa, for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mark. So, Laura, I'm going to start off by asking you the first question. What were you doing before you started at Brandfuel? So my most previous job was as an executive assistant, but I was also a marketing specialist. I kind of wore two hats to that role. So executive assistant's kind of been my main career path, if you will, the past six years. But I've worked in several different industries. My first job out of college was for a shipping company. Then I worked for a healthcare company out in Texas, and then recently I moved back to the area about three years ago, and so that's what led me to the executive assistant position. And then for our listeners, how many weeks has it been that you've been in the promotional products industry? I just started with Brandfield just shy of a month, so I'm definitely still newbie status, but I'm enjoying it so far. (laughs) 
Yeah. Joe, would you say that a month is still okay for newbie status? She doesn't graduate into veteran just yet after a month, right? I feel like she's definitely still a newbie. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Joe, I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. So Lisa, I know you're at Axis with me and I get to know a lot about you because you've been a mentor to me, but why don't you share with us what you were doing before you started in the industry? Okay. Hi, everybody. I've been in the promotional products industry now for a little over 30 years, and I sort of came upon it by accident. I actually graduated college with a music performance degree in opera, and I got out of school and my mother said to me, so who are you going to sing for? And I was like, I don't know. And I did my master's in music therapy. So I worked as a music therapist with disabled children, uh, very emotionally disturbed children, hospitalized children, some seniors, all different kinds of challenges. And I worked for about eight years. And then I got a call from a music conservatory in Westchester where I lived, and they wanted to basically extend and open the opportunities of music to the community. So I founded an outreach program in music therapy. It was called Creative Opportunities with Music in Therapy. I hired interns, trained them. They worked under me. And basically, I sold the concept of music therapy to day treatment centers, alternative school programs, hospital centers, BOCES programs. I really didn't know that I was selling because I really believed in what I was offering. And I did that for about two years until I had two kids back to back. And I went to pay my nanny one day and no money came out of my machine. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I need to find something else to do. But all I knew how to do is play the piano, sing, and I have a psych degree. So that was my pre-promotional products experience. Wow. I almost feel like we should get you to sing us a song (laughs) towards the end of the podcast. (laughs) So it feels like there's just so much that we can dig into with both of your stories, but I suppose we'll get into that in just a moment. But thank you so much for sharing that, Lisa. I'll ask this question of the two of you, because it's always a source of fascination to me as to how people get into this industry. So my question to the two of you, and Laura, perhaps you can start answering and then Lisa to follow, is how did you hear about the promotional products industry and what intrigued you about it? You know, I was reflecting on this question and I first came across this industry in my previous job as a marketing specialist. I was in charge of ordering all of our branded promotional items for the company, you know, and giveaways that we had for events or, you know, anytime a salesperson made a call with one of our customers, it's always nice to have something to give them. But in working with just a brief time with Brand Fuel, we do work with universities, with major corporations, and branded merchandise is all around us. You know, back when I went to school, anytime I would go to the campus store, there'd be branded items. I'm a proud alumni of James Madison University. So I have quite a few branded logos of their items. So it's just really intriguing, you know, how it is around us. And one of my first sit downs with Danny from Brandfuel is, you know, he said that promotional items are a lasting source of advertisement. In this day and age, we skip through commercials, we fast forward as soon as possible, we skip through the ad, but promotional items really stick with us. So it's a really unique industry. I reflect on my journey before getting into the industry, and it was my relationship with my university 
and also the summer camp that I went to and just being mindful of all the promotional items that were around me at the time. And I suppose I didn't really realize that there was an industry around it, but I know that there was certainly the strong emotional bond that I had with all of these cool items that I would wear with my school logo on it or my camp logo on it. And it was a source of pride. And it was kind of cool to discover that there was actually an industry behind it. Lisa, how about you? I really had no idea there was this industry at the time. I was the music therapist and I had two kids 18 months apart and was being a mom and trying to work and it was quite difficult. And my mom said that she knew somebody who worked for this company and they sold like water bottles and pens and she can work out of her house and, you know, you can make a lot of money. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, to be quite honest. I met with this company. It was Advisors and Lee's Keystone at the time. And we hit it off really, really well. And before I knew it, I was thrown deep, immersed within this. I didn't even consider it a promotional products company. It was a marketing support company. Right. They really focused on building relationship and solving marketing challenges through the use of promotional products. And that has been my belief since day one. I think this kind of aligned with my therapy experience because I would listen and try to figure out ways to use music to help people solve issues or communicate. And now I listen to understand what their marketing strategies and needs are to come up with branding solutions for them. Wow. So I find this is a deceptively difficult industry because you have to be an expert in so many different areas, but I'm still here 30 years later and it's proven to be quite fruitful for me. Yeah. Just as a side note, I think it's so fascinating to understand where people came from before they came into the industry. Because I think a lot of people will lament about how there's not a specific promotional products track at the college and university level like there is for, let's say, becoming a marketer or a salesperson or a doctor or a lawyer. Correct. And I actually even wonder whether that would be impossible to do because the foundation for being successful in the promotional products industry comes from so many different areas, right? Like Lisa, I know a lot of people in the industry and I've never met anyone who has come from a music therapy background at all. And clearly it set you up for great success. And as you say, it's that empathy and that listening. And you don't really teach that in school. You got to kind of learn it. I also think teachers are really good backgrounds because you have to listen well to be good at this job. Yeah. Also, I feel like people who are waiters or waitresses, those give them really fine skills with adapting and multitasking. Yeah. Fascinating. Lisa mentioned she stumbled upon this industry. I think I hear that so much. I didn't know this existed. I stumbled upon it. And yeah, her background is so unique. I hear a lot about people that have been in like waitressing or waiter roles or bartender roles before this job. I feel like that's a good one. Connect back to this as well because of the, you know, patience and listening and sort of attention to detail, if you will. So yeah, it is always interesting to hear where you are. It's also, you don't need a specific degree to get into this industry. Anybody can really do it. So it opens up to a lot of people with different interests and skill sets. Right. Yeah. 
And Laura, to reflect on your experience, I certainly know in my distributor background that often the best people that have ever come to work at Right Sleeve are people that have been buyers or that have had some connection to promotional products on the end client side because they understand what it's like to be a buyer. They understand what it's like to negotiate on price, all these things. So when they come into the distributor side, they've got a huge amount of empathy and experience for the role. So I think Laura, just hearing your story is equally interesting in terms of how it set you up for success, or at least in the first month on the job. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I pride myself on having a keen eye for detail and, you know, noticing certain things, whether it's a font differential from the approved logo. But yeah, coming from a buyer side of thing, it's definitely given me a unique perspective. And definitely the folks here that I'm working with are always constantly encouraging me, hey, if you see something, let us know, you know, don't be afraid to voice your opinion. So that's very nice. Yeah, absolutely. So Laura, you've been on the job for 30 days now, one month. How's it been so far? And Danny Rosen has given specific permission to be totally honest. So (laughs) let it rip. Yeah. You know, the expression drinking from a fire hose, (laughs) imagine two pointed at you. (laughs) No, (laughs) you know, it's been a whirlwind, but a great whirlwind. And, you know, brand feels really invested in me. I'm based out of our Norfolk office, but my first week was down in our Raleigh, North Carolina office. So I was fortunate enough to go down there and train with it wasn't just one person training me. My position with Brandfuel is a sales coordinator, and I sat with four sales coordinators down at that office. I sat with our web developer. I sat with, obviously, Danny. Unfortunately, I'm just kidding. Uh, I sat with Danny for a couple hours, and he really, you know, it's great to speak with people who've been in industry for a very long time, and it's just been a really great experience. The amount of training that I received it's staggering because I've come from previous workplaces where the the training was a little lax, but they really want to invest in my future here. And I'm proud to be a a we part of brand fuel. I'm not just a, you know, saying that the team, it's our team. So it's been great. I mean, it's definitely been busy and it's a huge learning curve, but I enjoy the challenge and I'm very excited for the future. That's awesome. I just always imagine the energy of brand fuel to be just like all smiles and positive vibes. Cause I don't think Danny could ever be in a bad mood or negative. I try to be a positive person, whatever I feel like I'm getting to a negative place. I'm like, how does Danny do it all day, every day? <laughs> so it must be fun. I'm sure it's a lot of hard drugs, but. <laughs> oh, for sure. That guy's got problems. <laughs> Lisa, I'm going to switch back to you. So when you started, tell me a little bit about your first role in the industry and how you really got your hands dirty. Well, I came in as a salesperson right off the start. I didn't do any supporting of any other groups. They hired you and threw you right into the fire. And I didn't make any money. You only got paid for what you sold and your commission structure. So I had a very organized training program. I remember Michael had murals all over the wall, like what you do when you first go into an office, how you make connections how you do your pitch. We had a whole dialogue that we had to memorize and what we said and how we pitched ourselves and just scouring through catalog after catalog to understand what each supplier was all about. Because at that time, every supplier didn't have everything. There were bag manufacturers and different technology. I didn't have a computer. So I was cutting out art, learning how to identify PMS colors and 
writing them and taping them to the different parts of logos and preparing FedEx to send them to the factories, which took a day. I mean, it was a completely different world. Yeah. So I had to learn every single part of the job while making no money. So I was very, very focused on getting clients. And that has been something that has really helped me get to the level that I'm at because I'm always feeding the pipeline. I'm always looking for new opportunities. Now, you know, I have a team of four that support me because my business has grown so much, but it is very different from the beginning. Lisa, what was that like to not be making any money right at the very beginning? I didn't know any better. That was just the way it was. You know, I was trained. I had a commission structure that I dealt with and I got commission when the clients paid. So I learned about margins. I learned about collections. I learned to keep going. I made very little money and it grew and grew and grew every year. And there was always that carrot being dangled. And for me, as I told you, when I went to the cash machine and no money came out and I had two kids that were 18 months apart. And it was the time where my husband was in real estate and the real estate market crashed. So we had to, as a couple, come up with ways to make money, but I was still fortunate. I was married and he was bringing in some money. So we worked together and it was certainly worth my while staying with it and just keep going because I've become fairly successful at this job. So she's being modest. She's been become very successful. And one of the things I know about Lisa is that desire she's describing in the first few years when, you know, I obviously didn't know her then. It's still there because she'll, I'm going to make fun of you a little, Lisa. Lisa, at the end of every year says, how am I going to do this again? I do. And we all laugh at her because we always know she's going to do it again and do it better the following year. So she always thinks she's going to lose her largest account and worry on how to pick up new business, but somehow she always does. Thanks, Joe. Isn't that the sign of a great salesperson that, you know, they set their expectations low, but then they're able to exceed them. And I just think that that's uh, maybe it's a sign of humility as well. So good on you, Lisa. (laughs) Uh, I I think it's more about, you know, or we say, you know, goals, you can't just wish to be good. You have to have a plan. Yeah. So, you know, you have to really think about, what your annual goal is, how that breaks down monthly, how many clients you have, what you can feel comfortable with. Like I definitely analyze my business and understand where the risks are. So yeah, absolutely. And you know what, it's actually not that crazy to have that fear that you could lose that big client. And at the end of the day, it's all about the selling activities to make sure you're re-engaging them and also planting the seeds with other customers, lest that customer leaves one day, which may possibly happen. I think that's really the sign of an amazing salesperson. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's life. So Laura, what do you think a typical day will be like at Brand Fuel? You've been on the job for 30 days, but what is your expectation of what you think that'll be for the next little while? You know, I think there's a healthy combination of structured, you know, what's coming to you each day and also a little bit of unpredictability. So some days, you know, I might walk in with only 20 emails waiting for me and I've already walked in one day with 90 emails waiting for me. And, you know, oh my goodness. I know for the first several weeks, I've been mostly focused on the production side of things and I'm just starting to dip my toe into the, you know, sales order, you know, building the sales order within common skew, 
Brand Fuel has done a great job of managing my expectations and really checking in and making sure, hey, is there any problems areas? Are you getting stuck on something? Do you need help? That sort of thing. So I think I'm very well prepared for the coming months and hopefully years that I'm here and that what I'm going to be doing. And, you know, a lot of it is client interaction, following up with them, making sure that they receive their product, everything looks great, that sort of thing. But also, you know, hopefully I'll help, you know, some of the sales teams out and creating quotes for them or presentations down the line. There's definitely plenty of opportunity and and growth for me here. So I'm very excited. That's awesome. I'll just make a quick little comment. And I know, Lisa, you started off just in sales. You didn't go through the coordinator administrative role. But what I can say based on what you just said there, Laura, that I think that starting in a promotional environment as a coordinator or sales coordinator, whatever you call it, I think is a wonderful foundation for a successful career in sales. And we've certainly seen that a lot at our distributorship that you get these people who come in who don't understand the industry, but they have some outside experience. But then they learn the tools of the trade in terms of how to interact with customers, how to deal with different suppliers, how to deal with the different technology platforms. And after anywhere between 12 and 24 months, it's given them this huge amount of confidence to be able to go out into the marketplace and really bring in a great amount of sales. So that's an interesting story. And Lisa, I know this wasn't something we'd shared with you before in terms of a question, but do you look back 30 years ago and Do you think starting off in a coordinator role would have given you a different perspective on your eventual role in sales? Or were you just ready to jump right in and to start selling? Well, I had to do everything. So I didn't have a coordinator. I didn't have support staff. I did everything. So although I was focused on selling, I still had to do the presentations and getting the quotes and understanding the production. So I did every role because I was a one-man team. Yeah. The company did not provide those services for you. Right. That's interesting how things have evolved, haven't they? (laughs) Yeah, very much. Not only did I not get paid, no one helped me out either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like you had to walk to work uphill both ways, right? Without shoes on. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Without her Louboutins. (laughs) Lisa, so looking back, And we know you've been doing this for a while. And perhaps because you've been at more than one company, there is a different perspective on this. But what do you think the biggest difference is between what you thought the industry would be like versus what it is? And again, maybe maybe you want to talk to working at different companies and how that's been different. Well, I think that the biggest difference is I thought if somebody wanted a water bottle, I would find them a water bottle. I didn't realize that there were hundreds of thousands of different water bottles that I had to figure out and find solutions. But with every company, each of the companies that I worked at, I've only been at really three, they had basically the same kind of go-to-work strategy. It was all about marketing support rather than selling products. So I think that what is really different is I thought I was in a product business and actually what I am in is in ideas service. Anybody can buy product anywhere. You can go online and get product. You can get product from every, there's a million, the competition is steep. So why is somebody going to buy from me? Why is somebody going to buy from you? What's the added value that I'm bringing to the relationship that my competitor is not? Building that, what my coined the phrase, my cradle of comfort. Right. My clients rely on me. So the difference is that I thought I was selling products 
And what I am really doing is building long-lasting, loyal relationships where they're coming to me to help them, whether it's a sales goal, a new product launch, a new meeting of some sort, a thank you gift. But they're coming to me for ideas that are going to help them get their message to that audience. And that's a challenge. And that's what makes me different and better than my competition, because we all sell the same products. Yeah, absolutely. You do sell the same product, but you certainly don't sell the same ideas and same solutions. And I think that that's the thing that is such a fundamental difference between a product pusher, someone who can get you stuff, and someone like you, Lisa, in terms of your approach. I remember one of my coworkers at my other company said he just didn't feel good about telling his kids that I sold pens and pencils like the old salesmen, you know, where you're walking down the street and they open their jackets, matchbooks, pens. And I never thought of myself as a product pusher. Right. So I feel good about what I do. I think I provide a lot of solutions to people. And I've had the same clients for the past, I would say, 28 years when I really started. I still have the same clients. Yeah. I lose very few clients along the way. And I think that speaks for the company that I work with and my team and myself. Yeah, that's amazing. Laura, I want to ask you one question in closing, and then Joe, I'll give you the opportunity to ask Lisa one last question in closing. Laura, what excites you the most and what scares you the most about this new role? You know, maybe I'll use Lisa's, uh, I'm scared of losing our biggest client. You know, I'm definitely afraid of making a mistake, you know, that could cost us dearly. But, you know, and that's one thing that Danny likes to say is you will make mistakes. You will do things wrong. It's like, thanks, Danny. No, but, you know, it's we have a great support system here. And a lot of times when mistakes are made, people are quick to forgive if you own up to it. And here's what I'm doing to fix it, that sort of thing. And you're still going to get this on, you know, by your, your needed date. But I'm very excited. You know, Lisa, I've taken notes and foods for thoughts for everything that you've said. I I really like how you say that you're an ideas service and that's a great way of looking at it. You're not a promotional product person. You're an ideas service. And I think that's so great, you know, for me to hear from someone who's been in the industry longer than I have. And it's, I'm just absorbing everything that you have to say. So I'm excited for the amount that I'm going to learn. I know that I'm not an expert in few areas, but you know, I can definitely learn and give it my all. And I'll get there hopefully one day where I can maybe 30 years from now, I'll be the vet on this podcast and they'll be talking to someone else. So you never know. Laura, I love your attitude. Joe, will you and I still be hosting this in 30 years? (laughs) You know, I think one of the most exciting things about this job to this day is that I still learn every day. I find it amazing that when I meet with the same suppliers year after year, month after month, every show that I've ever been to, I come out of the show and I just can't believe that I'm still learning and that there's new things that excite me every day. And I think that's why I'm still good at what I do. But you will make lots of mistakes. And as you said, it's how you handle the mistakes. But it could be a good podcast to talk about all the things that go wrong and how you fix them. (laughs) Food for thought. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I I would definitely tune into that. I have a clue. Laura, you have a great attitude and the fact that you're taking notes and listening to others and listening to Lisa and getting some advice is just, you know, kudos to you because there is so much more to this industry than the brand fuel box. And you happen to work at a wonderful company, but there's colleagues in the industry, whether it's Axis or another distributor that can help you. 
And I know you know that through Common Skew and through all the resources you have, but mm-hmm. it'll be great if you keep on, you know, trying to learn from others and taking notes. So I'm sure you'll be great. I'd love to hear how you're doing in a year from now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Lisa, going back to you, just to kind of wrap this up, if you could give yourself any advice 30 years ago, what would it be besides, you know, keep some stash cash for the nanny? (laughs) (sighs) I think you always have to keep an open mind. You're only as good as the amount of time and effort you put into it. And you need a lot of patience. My first client that I got, it took me a year from prospecting them that it took me a year before they actually met with me. And I just won two global jobs for them. So it's literally 20 years later. So you need a lot of patience, but every day you got to come in and throw a lot of stuff against the wall because only so much is going to stick. And the more you throw, the more it will stick, but you need to be open to new ways. I think On the downside, I probably get a little too stuck in the ways that I've been doing things because they've worked and I need to open myself up more to what's more current and happening. But it's an an interesting, fun industry and it's never dull. Well, I think from my perspective, just listening to that, Lisa, you know, it's amazing that you still have the energy and excitement for the job after 28 years. I mean, that's a long time to be in the business. And, you know, you do certainly see some people starting to lose steam at this point. And just listening to you, it feels like this could have been your first month on the job (laughs) with all the excitement you've been able to bring to this, just like Laura's. And I think that's really exciting. And Laura, you know, as you look at Lisa's trajectory, I think that it gives you a lot to look forward to in terms of growth and professionally and personally that you can get throughout this industry. So what a cool answer. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Well, I think on that note, Lisa and Laura, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a really wonderful experience. And thank you, Joe, for coming up with this wonderful concept of newbies and vets. And on behalf of the entire Promo Kitchen community, we all thank you for your time. Definitely. Can't wait to talk soon, guys. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.